with Samuel. We are rounding out our podcast for the summer. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, I think this is my first time ever podcasting. So I think these last few episodes have been interesting and I'm excited to continue during the school year. Yeah, it's genuinely it was it's an end of a very small era, but we have a lot coming up for everybody over the next semester. And, you know, with summer rounding out, there's been I don't know if any of y'all have been experiencing this, but, you know, people who visited really cool places over the summer, they just kind of been posting it on Instagram, on Snapchat. It's been really fun to see how everyone spent their summer so differently and vicariously especially especially after covid people were able to travel where they wanted to really freely this time and it's just been very interesting to see and a lot of people have actually visited what are known as world heritage sites i myself visited one when i was in india and it was gorgeous gorgeous and talking about the importance of visiting places with immense culture and local busyness of life is very important, especially in these post-COVID times, because you got to balance out tourism and attractions with conservation of the actual place and what it means to the people. And that's exactly what UNESCO had a meeting about a couple of days ago, actually, with regards to the post-COVID tourism boom and how these world heritage sites, you need, we really need to talk about how to balance those two things very, very precariously. And that is what we want to discuss in today's episode of the podcast, where we just talk about the importance of these sites, things that are endangering these sites, and what what it means to be a part of the collection of World Heritage Sites and UNESCO in general. Yeah, so UNESCO stands for the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. It's a specialized agency of the United Nations aimed at promoting world peace and security through international cooperation in education, arts, sciences, and culture. And the UNESCO World Heritage Sites are defined as the designation for places on Earth that are of outstanding universal value to humanity and as such have been inscribed on the World Heritage List to be protected for future generations to appreciate and enjoy. This list includes the pyramids of Egypt, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador, the Taj Mahal in India, the Grand Canyon in the U.S., and the Acropolis in Greece. And this intangible cultural heritage list was created in 2003 to catalog practices, traditions, dances, customs, and know-how rather than physical sites. And there's over a thousand natural and cultural places inscribed on the World Heritage List to date. And the cultural heritage is an invaluable resource and a cultural legacy of nations. Heritage can have many values and dimensions. Some people believe art has intrinsic worth because of its aesthetic beauty or derived importance that members of culture give it. But UNESCO essentially takes the stance that these sites have intrinsic value to humanity and should be protected. Very important. And I also think in today's world, you know, just debating about what people believe art is in general, that's just a whole other can of worms that we should probably discuss on this podcast at some time. But, you know, I think the UNESCO is kind of working with the idea that it is art has intrinsic worth because of its aesthetic beauty and the people that surround it. So UNESCO wasn't obviously always there. It was actually founded in 1945. 
as the successor to the League of Nations International Committee on Intellectual Cooperation. This is post-World War II era. UNESCO's goals are to advance peace, sustainable development, and the human rights by facilitating collaboration and dialogue among nations. So basically, like it's like the United Nations, sort of, <laughs> but more specific to certain things. UNESCO and its mandate for international cooperation stated when the League of Nations resolved on 21st September 1921 to elect a commission to study if nations could freely share cultural, educational, and scientific achievements. The main predecessor of UNESCO was the International Institute of Intellectual Cooperation, as I mentioned, or the IICI and the International Bureau of Education, the IBE. In 1972, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, therefore UNESCO, inaugurated the World Heritage Sites by adopting a treaty known as the World Heritage Convention. So it was, it was a very intentional process to make sure that this kind of interchange between countries was accessible and done and mediated in the best possible manner. There's a lot of guidelines, actually, that go behind, you know, designating something as a world heritage site and protecting it. To be included on that list, you know, sites must be of outstanding universal value and meet at least one of the 10 selection criteria. These criteria explained in the operational guidelines for the implementation of the World Heritage Convention. I'm not going to read all the <laughs> criteria to you, but a couple of them that we have here is one, it needs to contain superlative natural phenomena or areas of exceptional natural beauty and aesthetic importance, and to contain the most important and significant natural habitats for in-situ conservation of biological diversity, including those containing threatened species of outstanding universal value from the point of view of science or conservation. So there seems to be a little bit of a mix between what I would consider a more subjective approach to what a world heritage site to should be in terms of beauty and aesthetic, and also a very objective standpoint, which includes species conservation and just things of that nature, which are more scientific. So I think the guidelines are sort of a mixed bag. And if you're more interested in figuring out what those guidelines might be, you can definitely look it up on UNESCO's website. World Heritage Status commits the home nation to protect the designated location. And if a site begins to lose its value because of natural disaster, war, pollution, or lack of funds, nations that have signed the treaty must assist, if possible, in emergency aid campaigns. We will de definitely talk more about how all of these factors that I mentioned affect these sites in general. But a couple of fun facts before we get into all of the <laughs> nitty gritty of what affects a world heritage sites. The country with the most world heritage sites is Italy with 58. <laughs> And second place is China. That is crazy. <laughs> Imagine having 58 heritage sites. <laughs> yeah. Do you know of any that are in Italy? No, now that I think, like, I'm just thinking and I cannot even think of one that I know. I would almost, I'm actually quite surprised that the highest is Italy. I really thought it would have been somewhere in the East, but interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Forbidden City in Beijing, China is the world's most visited World Heritage Site. I have not gone there. I feel left out. <laughs> uh, and the distribution of sites is actually pretty uneven. Europe and North America make up 47.2% of all World Heritage Sites, 
And the next biggest portion is Asia and Pacific with 23.9%. The Arab states in Africa collectively make up less than all of this combined. So I guess that's where I was wrong. I really did assume that they would be mostly towards these, but they're actually mostly towards the West. So if you basically want to nominate a site as a World Heritage Site, the process of site inscription from like selecting the site to being inscribed on that list is it takes several years to do that at minimum. You know, it almost it even takes like one to three years just to draft a nomination. So it is a tedious process behind which these sites are actually nominated. Yeah, those are some cool facts. Yeah, so even though these sites are clearly really valuable, there's also a lot of factors that threaten the preservation of the World Heritage Sites, according to UNESCO. And one of them is armed conflict and war. So one example is the Russia-Ukraine war. On July 24, 2023, Russia um, struck Odessa, Ukraine, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And the official name is the Heritage Center of Odessa. Of the damage inflicted by Russia, one notable structure that was damaged was the Transfiguration Cathedral, one of the first Orthodox cathedrals in Odessa. Ukraine is home to eight other World Heritage Sites, as well as numerous other culturally significant locations not on the list, all of which have been put into immediate danger as a result of the war. UNESCO and the UN have repeatedly condemned Russia for the violence they are inflicting for the violence they are inflicting on the Ukrainian people and culture, citing that it is a war crime of international law to intentionally destroy cultural heritage according to the 1954 Hague Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict. Russia has been dismissing the allegations of cultural destruction, claiming that they have never intentionally targeted cultural or religious institutions. So responsibility for the damage could not be put on them. So we also have the Syrian civil war. The city of Aleppo in Syria is a World Heritage Site in danger. Aleppo has been a historically significant center for cultural wealth and history due to its unique location between the Mediterranean and Eastern world. It's well known for its fertile soil, good climate, and beautiful landscapes. And the land has been inhabited by many different generations of empires, and thus is a centralized preservation of centuries of cultures intermingling. Aleppo was severely damaged during the most intense years of conflict in the uh, Syrian civil war, and restoration efforts for this area took many years to get underway due to the long-lasting economic downturn that was caused as a result of the war. Since the ceasefire in 2020, restoration efforts have picked up, funded primarily through external sources like religious groups, art and culture museums, and some local businesses. However, some of the progress that was made in restoring these areas has been lost once again. The reason why it was lost once again is due to natural disasters and climate change, which are both very, very prominent factors, you know, maintaining these conservation sites. February 2023, Turkey and Syria experienced multiple earthquakes, um, which brought devastation, death, and destruction to all in its wake. In Turkey, there were several building collapses in the city of Diyarbakir. I'm pretty sure I'm not pronouncing that right, which is the home of UNESCO's World Heritage Site. It's basically the fortress and have cell garden cultural landscape. 
While the fortress itself remained stable, the surrounding areas were severely damaged. The cultural remnants of the Roman Sassanid, Byzantine, Islamic, and Ottoman empires were lost. In Syria, the city of Aleppo, which was mentioned earlier by um, Samia, sustained significant damage to its citadel, western wall, and other cultural artifacts and architecture. Given how restoration was just recently implemented for the city following the Syrian civil war, the earthquake's impact on the city was quite saddening. Nevertheless, UNESCO has been working to support both Turkey and Syria to restore these areas as best as possible in the months following its devastation. Another very important World Heritage Site that has been affected by climate change, and I'm sure you, somebody must have heard of this, is the coral reefs. Florida's ocean water was recently recorded to be above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That is the equivalent of a human hot tub, and that is not good. Oceans should not be that hot. Coral systems in these waters were found bleached and dead. As extreme water temperatures cause coral systems to lose the algae that they depend on to survive. UNESCO has declared a number of reef systems in the world as cultural heritage sites, including the Great Barrier Reef, the Belize Barrier Reef, and Adalbra Atoll. In 2018, UNESCO released a scientific assessment of the impact of ocean temperatures on the health of these cultural sites. It warned that over half, which is over 50% of all marine life, might be pushed to the brink of extinction by 2100. <laughs> or the, that is such a weird year to read. Um, not funny. Yeah. Weird year to read. As a result of increasing ocean temperatures. This is not like a joke at all, you know, because the idea of losing 50% of marine life is devastating. And that is the direction we're headed if we don't choose to acknowledge that climate change is ruining a lot of things. Anyway, coral reefs are also essential to the well-being of the rest of the ocean ecosystem, providing a place for animals to survive and find food. This plays a role in supporting human economics and tourism. You really, really have to think about how all of these things are so deeply interconnected. And if one falls, it's, it's like a domino effect. Not even a domino effect. I would say a butterfly effect. It's one small thing. And before you know it, almost every other thing has collapsed. And we can't even, we need to stop it as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And tourism and urbanization also has a number of damaging effects on the preservation of cultural heritage sites. For example, tourism tends to generate pollution of all kinds. And on land, irresponsible tourism leads to trash being disposed of in natural wilderness. And these artificial uh, materials, especially plastics, harm animals who eat them. They also take away from the pristine preservation of these sites in their most authentic form. Air pollution is caused by combustion of fossil fuels, which cause greenhouse gases like CO2 to build up in the atmosphere. Greenhouse gases trap unprecedented amounts of heat into the atmosphere, which is ultimately absorbed by the oceans. This is why ocean temperatures are rising, causing the threat to world heritage coral reefs like we previously mentioned. 
water pollution in the form of chemical runoff from human products like pesticides, hygiene products, and pharmaceuticals change the chemical balances in coastal waters, damaging the ecosystems most accessible to people. Ha Long Bay in northern Vietnam was declared a World Heritage Site due to its beautiful limestone karsts and pristine waters. However, it is facing a crisis of plastic waste buildup due to unsustainable fishing practices. From March to June 2023, approximately 10,000 cubic meters of trash have been removed from the bay, demonstrating the threat of pollution on UNESCO's sites. Poaching is also a major danger to these sites. Recently, UNESCO put out an emergency appeal to protect the Sumatran elephants of the Indonesia Sumatra Forest, which is listed as a World Heritage and Danger Site. There are only 500 of these elephants left in the forest and in the world. 70% of their natural habitat has been destroyed by urbanization. A huge reason why these elephants are in danger is due to poaching. Poachers take advantage of fragmented elephant territories to attack and harvest elephants for their tests. Poaching is dramatically reducing elephant population sizes, making it harder for them to recover from their path of extinction. Urbanization causes elephant habitat to be fractured into smaller subsections of disconnected habitat separated by human settlements. These increases this increases contact between elephants and humans, making it harder for the population to recover their numbers within their small enclaves and find sufficient resources to support a population without competing with each other out of scarcity. And this World Heritage Forest risks its ecosystem falling apart as a result of this strain on elephants. I feel like I've heard about poaching and people wanting elephants' tusks and all that, but I've never realized that it's an actual significant issue and the danger that it can pose to these sites. That is so devastating. And you know, while UNESCO is doing everything it can to preserve these sites, there's, as any government body, there's obviously the downfalls and the, you know the, the the gaps within the system. And you know, there's definitely some problems with UNESCO. And there are also other ways governments actually protect culture and land. Getting listed on to the World Heritage Sites does not automatically guarantee funding for conservation and protection. UNESCO is powerless to stop them being destroyed or damaged, like the Buddhas of the Bamiyan in Afghanistan, destroyed by the Taliban in 2001, or the Temple of Baal in Palmyria, Syria, which was demolished in 2015. Mass tourism to sites and false idealization of a certain cultural practice which leads to stage practices for tourists can be super harmful. Increased tourism also drives up poor locals from that area. The prestige and tourism that comes from being named a World Heritage Site means that the listing also reflects power imbalances and geopolitical tensions. Some countries in the Southern Hemisphere, such as Rwanda and Liberia, have no sites. Lobbying and the amount of knowledge and money needed to submit a full nomination for these World Heritage Sites drives out many poorer countries that can't put together a financial site management plan that UNESCO would approve. So there's obviously, a, you know, there's some sets of drawbacks for the vision and aim that UNESCO has. But at the end of the day, even making the smallest effort towards conserving what we can within these areas could go a very long way in 
preserving our history and our species in general. So that was just, you know, a little food for thought as you come out of your summer vacations and have visited all these places just to recognize the impact you have as tourists, the impact you have on places that contain these very important sites. Yeah, I have been Akshi. And I'm Saumia. And we will get back to you when our semester starts with a new season, new set of episodes. So stay tuned. Bye, all. Bye. The Unfinished Mind is brought to you by the Polymathic Scholars. Our scriptwriters this week were Niels Levy-Tubo and Neha Yawaker. Sound designed by Belong Tang. Produced by Caitlin Hawkins and Bill Tang. Our publicists are Claire Nevins and Nadine Permano. Hosted by Akshi Pant and Samir Sridhar. Thanks for listening and remember to follow your curiosity.